Well, we are focusing our series now here on the topic of biblical justice, and this morning we are going to continue the conversation by distinguishing the difference between justice and vengeance. Those are two different things, vengeance and justice. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. We are jumping all the way from Cain and Abel last week, Genesis, all the way to Romans, and we'll come back to Jesus next week, but we're going to read here chapter 12 of Romans, verse 17 to 21 in one voice. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these simple words, yet they're profound in our responsibility. I pray that we would digest and understand this morning the weight of Romans 12, 17 to 21. It's speaking to us today. And Father, I pray that you challenge our mindset. Lord, challenge the way we think and the way we process. Renew our minds today, Jesus. Allow us to understand things, not through the world's ways, not even through our own ways, but through, God, your ways. Your ways are certainly higher and better than our ways. So, Father, we choose to choose your word and the principles we find in it, and we're going to build our life on it, and we're going to change the world through it. We believe that we can be uh, people who bring righteousness and goodness into this world as your ambassadors. And I pray also that we'd have an understanding of what the vengeance of God is. And we believe in it because it is biblical. So, Father, speak this morning to your people. We pray, Lord, I need the help of your Holy Spirit in order to speak clearly and for your people to understand your word today. Would you help me and grant me empowerment through your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. There are many issues of injustice that are relevant to Christians and to non-Christians alike. And recently we have seen multiple horrific scenes of racial injustice against our black brothers and sisters. Nationally, we are taught and we continue to be retaught about the racial injustice against our First Nations brothers and sisters. And perhaps the most heinous crime of them all is the injustice against the unborn. See, the World Health Organization estimates that 56 million abortions take place each year. And the unborn do not have a voice for themselves, especially in light of the stress caused by this pandemic. We are in the midst of a domestic violence crisis and so many more issues. How will the church respond to the injustices that we see in our city and in our province and in our country and in the world that we live in today? Well, never have I seen the church so polarized than right now, at least in my lifetime. I believe that we have a cart before the horse problem. 
You know what I mean by that? Culture is leading the church instead of the church changing culture. This is a problem. And the way forward will require both repenting from our failures of passivity, watching injustice happen in our world, yet without discrediting the positive things that have been done to actively bring about justice in this world. So we're living in the tension of justice and injustice. If we're going to respond to the injustice all around us, we need to understand what the Word of God says. We cannot just pick and choose what the Word of God says. We need a holistic view of what the Word of God says so that we can react with a biblically motivated response and not just a socially motivated response. Let me add a caveat here. I feel I need to say it. No matter what I say today, somebody is going to hear this message and be upset with me. You're not going to like what I say. And no matter what I do, what, what, no matter what I do not say today, somebody's going to be upset with me on the flip side. So as your pastor, I am not here to please you. That's not why I stand at this pulpit. I don't stand here to please you and make you feel good inside. I'm here to teach you the word of God. And that's what I do. I open the word of God and exposit the word of God for you. I preach it because I believe it. And then I leave it with you in regards to the application. I'm not here and I'm not interested in debating issues for or against, back and forth. We can have conversations, but I'm not going to debate things back and forth. I'm not interested in highlighting one issue and giving it all the spotlight while so many other issues get neglected. I'm interested in mobilizing WPA to be faithful to its vision that the people of WPA would be theologically and spiritually and missionally vital in this world. And that is a formation that God is doing over time. See, justice is part of what it means to be missionally vital. But in order to be missionally vital, we need to understand that theologically first. And then the Spirit of God has to speak to our hearts and our lives and give us the, the passion for these things. And then we go out into the world and we make a difference. There's a lot of charged emotions and feelings within us when these, this topic of biblical justice comes up. And we all have something, some cause that we are passionate about. And I want you to embrace that because that may be God speaking to you. But just because God is speaking to you doesn't mean we change the whole direction of our church. We stay true to what the Lord has called us collectively to do. But the Lord may have called you individually to something great and amazing, to start a ministry, to start an outreach, to do something tangible. We must learn how to distinguish between indignation, which is anger, and righteous indignation, which is holy anger. And we need to have the heart of God and let our heart break for the things that breaks God's heart. This morning, I want us to grapple with the concepts of justice and vengeance based on Romans 12, uh, 12, 17 to 21, so that we will become very honest about what we can do and what God only can do. First point this morning is the justice of humanity is righteousness. And what I mean is by righteousness is doing right. The justice of humanity is righteousness. We find this in verse 17 to 18, and the scripture says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
We often try to settle issues of justice without God's help. And whenever we do that, we take his place of authority and we claim to know better than he does. And the justice of God is really a partnership between him and his people through their obedience to his word. Such obedience is conveyed through the demonstration of righteous speaking, righteous thinking, righteous living. When we live the way God has told us to live. When the Apostle Paul, he instructed the Romans to not repay evil with evil, he really meant what he said. He really meant the words that he was writing. You see, in Matthew 5, 38 to 42, it was Jesus who taught that his ways differ from the ways of the world. The way of the kingdom is different than the way of the world. The scripture says, and this is Jesus' words, you have, heard it's, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then go two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. See, this sounds very different than the way we naturally feel. The world operates under a very different set of principles. And instead of pushing unjust people away, what does Jesus ask us to do? He asks us to bring them closer to us so that we don't return evil for evil and continue the cycle. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a worldly rule of retaliation. But a cheek turned for the other cheek defies all worldly logic. To be sued for a shirt, yet to give one's shirt and one's coat defies worldly logic. To be forced one mile, but to voluntarily go two miles, that defies worldly logic. To give and to allow people to borrow without the need for return defies worldly logic. You might be wondering, is the Bible suggesting that we perpetuate this injustice by allowing evil to continue and to continue and ultimately destroy us? No, that's not what I'm saying this morning. What I'm saying is that the point is that when believers demonstrate this kind of behavior, our enemies, our victimizers will be confounded by our righteousness. And when we return good for evil, we will tilt the scale of justice in our favor. The Apostle Paul, he then moved from focusing on evil to focusing on good. And when he reminded the Romans that everyone is watching, catch that for a second, everybody is watching you. That makes you very self-conscious, doesn't it? Everyone is watching you. People are always watching us, and we do have an influence. And we must become living illustrations of what it means to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not only in positive situations, but also in negative situations. Our righteousness must be consistent with what we do in private and what we do in public. Our, righteous ha our righteousness has the power to transform our society. Be aware of those around you because they stand as witnesses of you. And they will either affirm your righteousness and say, that's right, this man stands for good things. This woman stands for good things and does what is right. Or they will condemn you for your wickedness. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, 
Apostle Paul reiterates this point. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to, the, to one another and to everyone. To one another, one-to-one, and everyone. The Apostle Paul ends verse 18 with an admonition to peace, peaceable living. See, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of righteousness. It is God's work within us that generates that fruit of the Spirit. And James, the brother of Jesus, said in James 3.18, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What are you sowing into the world today? In other words, you cannot expect peace to come from evil sources. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. And having peace depends less on them generating the peace. It has more to do and depends on us sowing the peace. Sometimes we just have to initiate peace in order to live in peace with others. Second point this morning is the justice of God is vengeance. The justice of God is vengeance. We find this in verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. I love when it says that. This is the quoting of Scripture. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If you take the way of righteousness, you can entrust God with the way of vengeance. And this means that you and I, we put aside the feelings and the sentiments of revenge. God is personally concerned. He has a, a desire to deal in vengeance. Look at this picture on the screen behind me. I think Pastor Andrew is going to be really proud of me for tapping into the comic side of, you know, his passion here. Many of, you, many of you have heard of the Avengers created by Marvel Comics. And this team of superheroes include Iron Man and Captain America and Hulk and Thor and Black Widow and Hawkeye. And they defend the Earth from threats that require the use of their superpowers. See, God is an Avenger, not this kind, but a better kind. God is an Avenger, but he does not need a team to handle the injustice of the world. He can do it all himself. He is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful God. Amen? We need to trust that God will avenge and God will repay those who stand for injustice according to what they deserve. It is important that we understand our God as our Father. He is a good parent to his children. And if someone hurts one of God's sons or his daughters, a believer, do you not think that he will not react? If someone hurts one of God's image bearers, just a living person, do you not think that he will react? We have suffered, friends, from a low view of God for so long. We have made God, as the psalmist says, so small in our mind. We need a magnified view of God, that God is a God of vengeance, that there's many sides to our God. We focus on love. It sounds awesome. It sounds great. But there's a different side of him. There's a part where the wrath of God overflows, and that is the vengeance of our God. I know we highlight the love and the grace that gives us all those feelings, but we have forgotten the justice, the wrath that ought to incite fear and trembling in people. Listen to these scriptures about the vengeance of God. The psalmist speaks of society's sins in Psalm 94, verses 1 to 2. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth, 
and pay back to the proud what they deserve. The prophet Nahum, he prophesies in Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and he vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Amen? See, God clearly articulates a vendetta against his enemies. May I also remind you that there is a day coming. It's not a day on any calendar. It's a day we don't know the date. We don't know the hour. We don't know what's, when it's coming. But there is a day coming called the day of the Lord. And the prophet Amos, he described this day in Amos chapter 5, verse 18 to 20. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? pitch dark without a ray of brightness. And woe is the only appropriate word for that day. Woe. The day of the Lord will be a day of sorrow, a day of distress, marked by darkness and disaster. The apostle Peter, he described this day in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and the speed of its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I know these are heavy scriptures. They're, you know, very heavy to understand, very heavy to believe, and, and I know that it's nothing we wish upon people. But we must anticipate this day. See, it will be a day that will suddenly come upon the earth and everything will be destroyed by fire. Believers are told to look forward to this day of reckoning where every wrong will be made right. Everything will be made right again. And the old earth will be gone. The sinful earth will be gone. The earth of injustice will be gone. And a new heaven and a new earth of righteousness will come. So friends, do not long for the temporary things of God, but instead long for the eternal things of God. We need to interpret justice in light of our eschatology. And what does that word mean? It's our doctrine of the last things or the end times. When we put things in its proper alignment, when we look at life as we're living right now, we need to have the proper perspective to understand what God is doing in the bigger picture of the story. What is God doing? There is a day of the Lord coming when every, inj every unjust act, every injustice in this world right now will be dealt with and met with the justice of the Lord. That day is coming. And that should alleviate some of the pressure off of us. It does not mean we don't do nothing. It means we do what we can, but we let God do what he alone can do. The gospel of Jesus now, third point, the gospel of Jesus is goodness. Verse 20 to 21, 
On the contrary, the scripture says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Ouch. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what's God calling us to do here? The Apostle Paul, he provides us with an alternative way of living when he says, on the contrary. In addition to righteousness, God is calling us to a ministry of goodness. And goodness is also a fruit of the Spirit. It is a call to do what Jesus did even in unjust situations. To live like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to walk like Jesus. And we start by reconsidering how we treat our enemies. Jesus continued his teaching about this topic in Matthew 5, 43 to 48. Scripture says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And if you, love those who, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, the disciples and the followers of Jesus who heard these words needed to be reminded that the world operates, again, under a very different set of principles. And it is natural to love your neighbor and hate an enemy, but it is supernatural to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you. You need God to do that. You can't do that on your own. God is not asking you to do the easiest thing. God is actually asking you to do the harder thing. And we are not to go beyond what the ta- we are to go beyond the tax collectors and the pagans and all that they do. We should be better than that. Jesus taught us to model our lives after the perfection of the heavenly Father. And after all, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, he reminds us, once you were alienated from God and were enemies. Catch that. Once you and I, we were enemies of God. In your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Apostle Paul says the same thing in very different words in Romans 5.10. He says, for if, while we were God's enemies, all of us, God's enemies at one point, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through, this, through his life? And if this, if this is the way that God has treated us, we who were once enemies, but now those whom he calls friends, we must treat our enemies as friends. This is the hard part. This is the gospel. Quoting Proverbs 25, 21 in verse 20 of the scripture we're reading in Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us to feed our enemies when hungry and give our enemies water when thirsty. Why would you do that? Come on, that just doesn't make sense. 
In doing so, this is what he believes, we will touch their hearts and they will have no choice but to see that we're both humans, that we're equals. And such a radical action has the power to move us from enmity with somebody into relationship and friendship with somebody. It sometimes takes that radical kind of love. Instead of an opportunity for retaliation and revenge, we embrace the opportunity to reconcile, to make that relationship right again. What does the Apostle Paul mean when he said you will heap burning coals on his head? It means that your actions will burn and singe their conscience with shame. That they will actually understand what they're doing. Instead of just going through the motions and just living life the way they feel like living, hurting people and destroying people's lives and doing unjust things, they will all of a sudden start to think what I'm doing is not right. This act of kindness stimulated from goodness will lead them back to repentance. The Apostle Paul, he started this portion of his letter to the Romans in verse 17 with, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but he ended this portion of his letter to the Romans in verse 21 with, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm challenging you today to actively exercise righteousness and goodness But I know what sounds so simple is actually very difficult to live on a daily basis. But this is the challenge this morning. It's the challenge to do what God has done, to live out the gospel truth in our life and to allow God to deal with vengeance. As we conclude this morning and the worship team comes, I want to address the one thing that can hold us back from moving forward in biblical justice and obeying Romans 12, 17 to 21. It's the very thing that will cause you to walk right out of this door as if you never heard this message or to close your laptop and uh, go to the kitchen or go outside and forget everything that I've just told you. That one thing is bitterness, the bitterness of heart. It can be difficult to uproot bitterness from your life. And when we have witnessed so many unjust things in our world, it is only natural for us to become bitter towards a person or towards a group of people, can I even say, to your church. And if you and I do not deal with the root of this bitterness, we will never, mark my words, never be part of a biblical solution. Biblical justice starts with you, and it starts with me taking responsibility for ourselves. These days, so many people have so much anger pent up within them. And when a Christian is bitter, they fool themselves into thinking that what they have is holy anger when what they really have is just just deep-seated anger inside. Bitterness drastically changes the tone in which you speak and the respect that you show when you communicate with other people. And the fruit of anger is that things get worse with rage and slander and brawling and discord and division. It doesn't help. It's a real emotion. It's a God-given emotion. But if you let it go on in your life, it will destroy you. But the fruit of holy anger is that things get better with righteousness and goodness and kindness and peace and love. See, anger is that God-given emotion, but we must process it biblically. Otherwise, we will allow bitterness to poison our souls. We must allow God to sanctify our anger 
so that he can turn it into love. As the late Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. once said, love is creative and redemptive. Love builds up and unites. Hate tears down and destroys. The aftermath of the fight with fire method is bitterness and chaos. The aftermath of the love method is reconciliation and the creation of the beloved community. Yes, love, which means understanding, creative, redemptive, goodwill, even for one's enemies, is the solution. So friends, the solution is the righteousness of humanity, the vengeance of God, and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, my friends, is not bitterness. This is love. This, my friends, is biblical justice triumphing over worldly injustice. And so I leave you with this. Let us do what we can do, the righteousness and the goodness, and let God do what only he can do, the vengeance. Let's pray.